Welcome to the Agronomy and Farm Management Podcast. I'm Amanda. And I'm Elizabeth. Thanks for joining us today. Hi everyone, Amanda here with a quick note about today's podcast. We're splitting up today's interview with the AgWall team into two parts. The first part covers hemp in the Lake Erie Bill of Rights, and part two in the next podcast will cover solar leasing and the Roundup cases. We also have a weather outlook from Aaron Wilson at the end. We hope you enjoy. Well, folks, welcome to the Agronomy and Farm Management Podcast. We are joined again by the AgWall team. It's been a couple months since we've had you guys on, so we're looking forward to some updates. There's been a lot going on. Um, Peggy Kirk Hall is our Director of the Agriculture and Resource Law Program, an Associate Professor with The Ohio State University. Also joined by Ellen Essman. She's a senior research associate with the program and then Evan Batchelor as a law fellow. So thank you guys for joining us today. You're welcome. So like I said, there's been a lot going on. You have a pretty active blog and you've been sending out a lot of updates on several topics. Today, I think we'll focus on hemp, the Lake Erie Bill of Rights, solar leasing, and then talk about new movement in the Roundup litigation as well. So let's start out with um, talking about what's going on with hemp legislation. I know a lot of farmers are eager to have another crop potentially in their rotation. Right. That has generated a lot of interest from the farm community. There are a lot of benefits to uh, growing hemp as an alternative to putting some acres in corn and beans. So there is legislation in Ohio and it's moving. It's already gone through the Senate. It's passed the Senate and it's before the House right now. And that legislation would follow up on um, legislation passed in the last Farm Bill that would remove some of the um, barriers to growing hemp. But the Farm Bill um, handed down that ability for states to address um, how they would go about authorizing hemp production within the state. Um, you, know, you want to talk a little bit more about the Farm Bill provisions um, first, Ellen? Well, like Peggy said, um, the, the Farm Bill gave the power to the states to um, kind of make their own program under the framework of the of the farm bill mm-hmm. but that the federal rules have not been implemented yet for hemp so even if Ohio were to pass uh, this bill soon uh, we would still have to wait until um, the rules are implemented on the federal level for it to be carried out right so the bill in Ohio right now would allow hemp to be grown so it would remove the the illegality of, of growing mm-hmm. hemp, and it also would direct the Ohio Department of Agriculture to establish rules for Ohio's program, and then Ohio's program, those rules would have to go to, to the, the federal level for approval to by USDA, USDA. Right. and they yet don't have all of their rules developed in order to allow for that approval. but. Um, it, it could take a while to get the program up and running. I think the last time I read, and this could have changed, but they weren't thinking that the rules would be finished until August or September. Um, so 
later. It's not going to happen right. this year. Yeah, there's, so um, there could be some disappointment that some thought they might be able to plant some hemp this year. But as you said, no one's planting much <laughs> yeah. of anything, let alone hemp right now. Uh, but we won't see that this year. But it seems likely the next year that could be mm-hmm. a viable alternative crop. And I also hear it's a good cover crop, so we could see it going in in time for that as well. So how are other states, like Vermont, they grow hemp, right? So how are they allowed to, what's the difference there with the federal? So was Vermont under the pilot Pilot program? program. So in the 2014 Farm Bill, there was a pilot program, and states could, if they decided to um, implement a pilot program to grow hemp and research it and okay. on that basis so they're they're still growing it under that mm-hmm. legislation okay yeah and yeah, now we're kind of preparing for this a little as best we can as far as trying to pull some budget resources mm-hmm. together and things like that to help farmers make those decisions once we do have the go-ahead mm-hmm. yeah it's an interesting crop and I think it gets interesting reactions from people of course because of that connection to marijuana being in the same family but it does sound as though there are some benefits um, that we should take a good look at in Ohio. The other benefit relates to our Lake Erie discussion that we're going to have and that is that it's less it requires less chemical application for for a hemp crop and so a lot of states are interested in it for that reason as well as for the cover crop benefits. So we'll see, I guess, where all those economic issues go, but from the legal perspective, we still have a few things to get through before before our farmers can start growing. I'm pretty confident that they will be able to start growing. It's just a matter of when, so coming soon. I think agronomically, it would be helpful to have another crop in the rotation. I mean, in my area, farmers have pretty much given up on wheat due to low prices um although straw i hear is going for a pretty penny right now but it's good to have multiple crops in the rotation for soil health and of course they need to be profitable to make that happen so Mm -hmm. interesting yeah that's what we need to see how profitable (laughs) will it be right yeah exactly right and we should also mention too the farm bill made it subject for crop insurance and and programs so it will be treated as you know, as a, as a commodity okay. for those purposes. Yeah. So you mentioned the Lake Erie Bill of Rights, and that's mm-hmm. what we spent most of the time talking about the last time we were together. And it seems like we were saying everything's moving really slow on the hemp. It feels like on that a lot has happened since the last time we talked. Yes. So yes. Do you want to fill us in on what sure. happened just since that was passed? Sure. Let's start first with talking about the lawsuit in federal court that the Drevis Farm Partnership filed against the city of Toledo uh, to try to stop enforcement of the Lake Erie Bill of Rights, which we call LIBOR. Um, So do you want to do a little update on the last thing you reviewed on that case, or do you want me to start? Yeah, so we just saw today that in the past week or so, um, the state of Ohio has finally um, issued their complaint. They filed it with the federal court last week. Um, their intervention 
was approved just a couple of weeks ago, which allowed them to become a party. Since they weren't originally a party, they had to request that the court let them in. Um, so now the state is arguing kind of some of the same things that we had originally questioned, that right. the state owns this, um, they hold it in public trust for the people of Ohio, and that all the things that Lieber would try to do would violate the state's rights. So we've seen that complaint come in, um, but then also we have seen the Toledoans for Safe Water group, along with the Lake Erie ecosystem, the actual like Lake Erie trying to sue, um, they were not allowed to intervene into the lawsuit. So they will not be parties in the lawsuit. And they had tried to pause the lawsuit by requesting a motion for a stay, um, but that was denied so that the litigation will continue on without them as a party. So that's kind of where it stands right now. Mm -hmm. So right now we have the farm filed a lawsuit against the city, as I said. Um, they want the they want Libor struck down and declared unconstitutional. Um, the city agreed to an injunction with the farm saying, we agree we won't try to enforce it. Um, it's a little bit interesting to see what the city is doing here. I think they're an unwilling party to all of this. Mm -hmm. uh, so that was going on. But as they were doing that, then we had, as Evan said, uh, the, the lake and the Toledoans for safe water, who were responsible for getting um, Libor passed, trying to get into the lawsuit, and the state of Ohio trying to get into the lawsuit. So there's a lot, there's a <laughs> lot of activity around this. So, yeah, Ohio is now in. They're allowed uh, to be in the lawsuit, but the Toledoans for Safe Water and the Lake Erie ecosystem were not approved to get into the lawsuit. So they're out. So now it's the state of Ohio and Drevis Farm Partnership against the city of Toledo. Okay. And the city of Toledo really doesn't want to be involved at all. I don't think right. they do. Interesting. <laughs> I, mean, I, I mean, this group kind of came in and... Put it, it. Yeah, <laughs> put it on the ballot, got it on the ballot, and yeah. yeah they, they, I don't think they ever thought it could be enforced, so. Well, they tried to, they tried to not even put it on the ballot, but right. then we're told by the court that they had to put it on the ballot. The city. The city of Toledo, right. So what is the, what is being accomplished by the lawsuit, or what's um, the goal? We'll really have a decision as to whether, um, uh, we could have two. It could go two ways. One will be that the the claim itself was not uh, filed, that, that they don't have legal standing to challenge it. That could be one way that the court could go to challenge LIBOR. Or they could go the other way and declare whether it is constitutional or not. Um, there is a bit of a legal standing problem, and I think we talked about did we talk about that before, or was the lawsuit even filed? Um, it hadn't, no. I don't oh, think, I think the last time we talked, yet. that LIBOR hadn't actually been passed. I think right. it passed a few okay. days after okay. our last episode together. Well, the the way that it's evolved, where it's the, this farm filing in a federal court against the city of Toledo for LIBOR, there's a question as whether the farm really has legal standing to challenge LIBOR in the way that it has. And that's because no one, especially the city of Toledo, has attempted to enforce uh, LIBOR at all. 
So you have to question whether there's any real injury to the right. farm. The farm kind of tried to preempt everything happening. So Well, Toledoans for Safe Water is really the only group that said you don't have standing, though. And that's kind of my curious question at the moment is that the judge has had opportunities to rule on that but hasn't yet. So so, so you're thinking it's not going to be decided on standing? Maybe not. Like originally, I know we had talked about that a lot, but the fact that it hasn't yet and the fact that he's looking for um, like motions right now based upon the complaint and the answer signals to me that he's still looking for something. Yeah, and uh, we don't know what he's looking for. To me, it's a, it's, I would, I would rule on standing. I would say there yeah. was no standing to bring the lawsuit, but I'm not a federal judge. In order to have standing, you you have to have injury that could be redressed by the court, and that the defendant is responsible for. And as I said, Toledo hasn't done anything. They weren't even responsible for a passing. They haven't tried to enforce it. Um, so That's why Toledoans for Safe Water came in, because they were arguing yeah, no one me. else is in the position to argue in favor of this like us, so we have to be brought in. But the court was not convinced by that. Yeah. Yeah. So it's pretty interesting. A lot of really kind of wonky legal stuff going on yeah. in that. But I see you guys, your eyes are glazing over. Yeah, it is tough to follow. I mean, it, and it's possible that it could go the other route and and be there could be a decision based on whether it's constitutional, mm-hmm. the the LIBOR Act itself, which I think many of us doubt its constitutionality. So that could be an outcome that we'd see. Yeah, yeah. This is kind of like a lol soap opera. And I think we were going to talk about Ohio really does have kind of comprehensive laws, um, more so than other states when it comes to runoff from farms um, and what they're doing about it. Um, We're trying. Right, right, yeah. right. It seems more than some other states, at least. Um, Ellen and I just issued a, a national report through the National Ag Law Center that looks at how states are addressing uh, the management of agricultural nutrients as, and how they impact water quality. And Ohio has more pieces and parts than a lot of states do, okay. especially with our recent, you know, fact, the fertilizer applicator certification training. Um, with the watersheds in distress rules that are going on. Um, there's there's more going on in Ohio than in and many other places. Some states have similar things, but I'd say we're in the top <laughs> tier of yeah tra- people trying to get on, I don't know, preempt the problem, I guess. Yeah, I would put Maryland and uh, some of those states in the Chesapeake Bay region And, you know, it's kind of interesting when you look at the whole country because you see the patterns. Mm -hmm. Those that have been closest to serious water problems, as we have here in Ohio, have more in place. Florida has a lot. Yes. Virginia. Mm -hmm. The states around, as I said, the Chesapeake Bay and down the Mississippi, some of those Mm -hmm. states going down into the the Gulf and the hypoxia zone have uh, more approaches in place. 
a lot of those are voluntary, but we found a number of mandatory approaches across the country. So we have some. That's not enough for um, actually the Lucas County Commissioners, who also filed a lawsuit recently over Lake Erie. So we have three lawsuits going on. We have oh, wow. the Drevis Farm Lieber lawsuit that we just talked about. Um, the Lucas County Commissioners have sued the U.S. EPA in federal court over Lake Erie. And then we have the ongoing one with the uh, Environmental Law and Policy Center. Yeah. Are they the only party in that one? That I remember. And they have filed against the state. Wait, did they go state or federal? Federal, federal as well. So there are two against yeah. EPA. the U.S. EPA for not... Um, for improperly approving Ohio's total maximum daily load oh, regulations. Yeah. So we, we touched on lake, that last yeah. time. Yeah, the impaired lake, impaired waters issue. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it's interesting, even though we're saying it seems like Ohio has a lot going on, there's, there's the other big issue in the lake, and that is the impaired water status and whether Ohio is going to create the TMDL's total maximum daily loads, and they've really been dragging oh, their yeah. feet on that. <laughs> so, uh, I mean, I think we were two or three years behind Michigan. Yeah, oh, yes, yeah. the date, the due date for that, really. Hmm. Yeah. So a lot of, a lot of litigation over Lake Erie these days. Yeah. Yeah, and unfortunately, with the wet spring we're having, that typically brings a big load into the lake and results in a big bloom. So I don't think it's an issue we're going to stop hearing about anytime right. soon. Right. We've got some interesting new programs, though, coming from ODA, and you guys have probably heard about those, um, you know, sending more money up into that watershed uh, with some of the new programs. So there's, there's always talk of more coming to try to address the problem, but... Yeah, there's no short-term fixes. In the meantime, there's litigation. <laughs> Lots of litigation. Sometimes that's a fix and sometimes not. So we'll see what happens with that. So stay tuned next week as we finish this conversation with the Ag Law team and talk about solar leasing and the glyphosate cases. Now here's an update from Aaron Wilson on our weather. Greetings everyone, this is Aaron Wilson with the State Climate Office of Ohio and the Department of Extension at The Ohio State University, uh, bringing you the weather update here as we're about 10 days into June. Certainly we've had a very challenging planting season with a lot of rainfall around the state, a lot of late planting that's, that's going on. Uh, this past week we had quite a, quite a good break, I think, for, for counties across southern Ohio uh, to really uh, achieve some some planting success. It's been a little bit cooler than average across the north uh, and that's really fit the last 30 days pattern that we've seen here um, over the last month. As far as this week's precipitation goes, uh, we average between a quarter of an inch and about two to three inches in some locations across northern Ohio. And like I mentioned, this provided a little bit of window in west central Ohio to central Ohio and points south in terms of, uh, you know, this little bit below average precip for a weekly basis. Again, right now we should be seeing about an inch of rainfall uh, per week. Uh, so we came a little bit under that over the last seven days. 
Uh, West Central Ohio, just, just so people know, has been really hit hard this spring. We, we have some locations there that have received over 18 inches of rainfall since April 1st. That's 46% of the annual rainfall in just two months. Incredible amounts of rainfall falling across West Central Ohio. And we really see that signal on our 30-day map looking at normal precipitation uh, somewhere between two and 300% of normal with high stream flows and plenty of soil moisture. Now, I wish I had some better news as we head into this upcoming week and for the rest of June, but unfortunately, uh, the signals are starting to come in pretty wet here. Uh, this week, we're looking at generally average about an inch of rainfall from northwest to southwest and southeast Ohio, uh, with one and a half to two inches of rainfall from central Ohio to the north central and northeastern counties. Uh, so this is going to be the, the, the focus of the heavier rainfall uh, this week. Uh, if we extend our outlook, and we're looking at the 6 to 10 day outlook now from the Climate Prediction Center, this is June 16th through the 20th. Uh, elevated probabilities of below average temperatures. We're likely to see some cooler daytime highs, highs mostly in the 70s or low 80s. Uh, with overnight lows probably a little bit above average in the mid to upper 60s. And so there, there's a little bit of trade-off there, but we're, we're going to average a little bit below average here uh, as we head into about the 20th of June. Along with that is a pretty strong signal for above average precip, especially along the Ohio River, and then up to about US 30 for sure, uh, seeing higher probability, higher confidence in above average precipitation through the 20th of June. If we take it out for the rest of the month, yeah, it really looks like we've, we've got some wetter and cooler than average conditions that are, that are gonna kind of stick around and be in place here. Uh, we don't see any major shifts in the pattern uh, with a large expanse of the Midwest part of the, the country and even South Central Plains being above average in terms of precip. That's gonna keep temperatures down a bit, uh, especially during the day, as I mentioned. And it's gonna provide plenty of fuel for additional rain, rain thunderstorms and, and showers to move through. So I wish I had a little bit better news, but that's the outlook as we see it here around the 10th of June. Uh, if, if you have any questions, you can always check out climate.osu.edu for more information. Uh, and thanks, we'll see you soon. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the Agronomy and Farm Management Podcast. Join us again in two weeks for our next episode.